0: Well, good morning and welcome to you, Jonathan Scott, one of the pastors of Forest Hill Church to the friends and family of Forest Hill, gathered here at South Park, as well as for those of you that are gathered at one of our other campuses. And for those of you that are watching online, it's a privilege to have you here with us and to extend, further extend, the season's greetings for a Merry Christmas as we gather together to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. That's what this season is all about. And it seems as if a lot of people have already got their Yule tied on way early. Take a look in neighborhoods with all the decorations that are out there. We're, we're ready to celebrate, and we're ready to do that as well here. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna ask you in a few moments to stand, and we're gonna take a look at a very traditional passage that shows up around this time of year from the book of Isaiah, a prophecy written about six to 700 years before Jesus was born. And so I'm gonna ask you to read this passage out I'm gonna read the first part of it and then I'll then we'll read it together. I'll invite you and we'll read that particular significant aspect of the prophecy together as we begin this season. So now, if you are able, let me ask you to stand as we acknowledge both the inspiration and the authority of this word and the authority of the author of this word over our lives. As we take a look at this passage from Isaiah chapter 9, kind of the foundation for the series in this month. Here's what it says in verse two: the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt In the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And now read out loud, if you would, with me. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Keep reading. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Father, as we turn our attention to your word, we pray that Lord, you would pour into our hearts the dynamic of peace and of hope and of life and love. From Jesus Christ, our Prince of Peace, may his blessing extend into our world through our grace-saturated hearts, we pray in his name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I am sure that for many of you in your homes, the question has already come up. What do you want for Christmas? Can I just go ahead and say this? I think those people who are born, their birthdays are in December, that they're like the luckiest people, right? Because they get not only, because the question is not only what do you want for your birthday, but what do you want for his birthday? As a matter of fact, I'd say this. If, if you're born like on December 25th or like one day on the either side of it, you kind of get gypped out of a gift because people say, hey, here's one gift for both your birthday and for Christmas. That sounds clever, but you're being gypped a gift, right? The idea is that we even go to, uh, to in a sense to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, what do you want for your birthday? That's the question, isn't it? What do you want for your birthday? Now listen, I, I'm not really sure exactly what he would say, but based on what we know about Jesus, here's what I think Jesus might say in answer to that question. That the greatest gift you could give me, Jesus might say, the greatest gift you could give me is the full use of every one of the gifts I've given you. That what would bless and bring joy to the heart of Jesus is not so much what we would give to him, but what he's already given to us. Because with Jesus Christ, it's always way more about what he wants for us than what he wants from us. Which kind of brings us to the series. During this particular time of the year, December, we've got the quartet of Christmas virtues, of hope, of joy, of love, of peace, that we can see stenciled on Christmas cards or kind of uh, flanked with lights and decorations. And yet, over time, there seems to be a growing skepticism. Are these things only seasonable for December? Do they not last throughout the year? But we're dealing with this aspect in this series of peace. That which is an extension of the Prince of Peace himself, when it's just his reign of peace that, according to the scripture, it is eternal, everlasting, and that there's no end to it. And that's where we're headed, to deal with this kind of peace. Over the next several weeks, we're going to take a look at this nature of peace, about how we can have peace, his kind of peace within ourselves. How we can experience peace with one another, peace in relationships, in our communities, and ultimately peace in our world, the peace on earth that God desires. And at the last message of the series, we're gonna take a look at what does it look like, everlasting, eternal peace, and give a picture of what takes place in his kingdom beyond this life. But today, we're gonna deal with the peace of God, foundational to all peace, the peace of God. And I would imagine that every single one of you would agree right now in our world, there is a desperate need for his peace. This past week, I had the privilege of being able to drive northbound on I-77. I was in a Zen state because I had just finished consuming the amazing, incredible Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich, which is the amazing golden waffle fries. And by the way, you can't eat that while driving because you got to be focused. When you're eating that stuff, you got to be really, really focused. So I was in a parking lot just enjoying it and more and more peace and joy and love and harmony coming to my life. I also had the lemonade. And quite frankly, can I just go ahead and say this? Chick-fil-A lemonade, I actually believe it's being mixed by angels. I think they're going to be serving lemonade in heaven because it's like the nectar, the sweetness and goodness. And I was enjoying that. And so on the road, 60 miles an hour on I-77 heading towards Charlotte. Um, I, you know how it is when you get to the bottom of your sweet tea or lemonade, there's like a little liquid left. And so you take the and work the ice so that you can get the last dregs of that. Well, I don't know if it was my own strength, and this never happened before, but apparently I didn't just puncture a hole in the bottom of my Chick-fil-A cup. The whole bottom fell out. And all of a sudden, at that moment, Zen State gone. Full-blown chaos, 60 miles an hour, head northbound as I wet my pants. It was completely, for all this goodness, and nectar all over me. Now I'm looking for a place to be able to pull over. I finally pulled over on, on, on Arrowwood, got out of my car, cars whizzing by me, getting rid of the ice, and then I drove to work with my pants wet all the neck to goodness I was no longer in a state of peace you know I imagine that for many of you regardless of how 2020 started for many of you many of us the bottom fell out right around February or March when the coronavirus hit and all of a sudden we're now dealing with safe distancing and masks as both infections and hospitalizations and deaths are rising and life is completely different And we're dealing with the aftermath, especially in our own homes with tensions and aggravations and all of that that's taken place. May I let you know also that there are still many people who are dealing with the simmering tensions of racial injustice in our nation. They're still dealing with the pain of all that. The bottom's fallen out. We just came through a very bitter, uncivil, difficult, political election. And some of the aftermath of that is still going on, and so therefore, there is still a lack of peace and stability and all of that. And these, even this past season, Thanksgiving, was difficult, change, uh, challenging for many of us. I'm so grateful for Keith Burney. His message last week on Thanksgiving, if you have not heard that message, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen. It's one of the most powerful messages on Thanksgiving. But he said, Thanksgiving is going to be different for many. As a matter of fact, I was able to have Thanksgiving with my family in South Florida. I was able to see my mom and my dad and my brothers, my sister, but it was different. We were wearing masks and it was just strange. For many of you, you had that experience or maybe you didn't even have contact with your loved ones. Or maybe some of you have actually lost complete contact with loved ones who are no longer here. And some of us are now kind of bracing for the impact of moving towards the Christmas season with some of these things still unresolved. Our economy, our financial situation, all of these things telltale signs of the fact that the world is not in order and that we are not in order as well. And it almost seems as if what joy, love, hope, peace, are they actual and possible in real time in the real world? Especially when we take a look at it from the perspective of the world. Their definition of peace, when you take a look at the definitions, they're going to range anywhere from a freedom of disturbance, the absence of conflict, relational harmony, kind of like a desire for quiet and tranquility versus chaos and hostility. All of it based on what you can do, on what you and I provide by the way of peace. As a matter of fact, when we take a look at some of the authors and politicians and people about in our world, who describe what peace is from a world perspective, you get some quotes like this from Ralph Waldo Emerson, for instance, he says, nobody can bring peace to you but yourself. Or Einstein said this, peace cannot be kept by force, it can only be achieved by understanding. Louis Wiesel said, mankind must remember that peace is not God's gift to his creatures, but it's our gift to each other. In the context of Nazi Germany and the concentration camps and the persecution, and yet, that peace is not God's gift. And then we have two opposing views from two presidents of the United States. Ronald Reagan said, peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means, where John F. Kennedy, he said, it is an unfortunate fact that we can secure peace only by preparing for war. What's going on? A difference of opinion from the world's perspective about what peace is and how to be able to get to that, that actually does not resolve the problem of chaos in our soul. We are in desperate need from something more than something that starts from us because quite frankly, the problem is us. The problem is in us. And we need a peace that surpasses and transcends our circumstances and our own abilities. C.S. Lewis said this, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. What you and I desperately need is the peace of God. A peace that's transcendent, a peace that comes from something beyond us. When you go to the Old Testament, you take a look at the understanding of peace from the word shalom. It references the idea of perfection. And as a matter of fact, shalom in the Bible is not simply just active, I mean passive. It's an active word. In other words, God's shalom is the willingness and the power to take what is broken, what is missing, and restore it to wholeness and completeness and perfection. That it's not simply about two sides that stop fighting, but that both sides work together for each other's benefit. That the peace of God, the true peace that comes from God, is where He takes what is broken, what is missing, and He restores the wholeness, the completeness in our lives, in our relationships, and in our world. And that is exactly what we need, a peace that is far beyond us. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter four basically says, verse six, That we should not worry about anything, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Verse seven says this, and the peace of God that transcends or surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, and that is what we do desperately need a peace that is not necessarily guaranteed to improve our external conditions in our world, but it's definitely guaranteed to improve our internal and eternal condition of our soul, the peace of God that restores what is broken, restores what is missing. And this is the kind of peace that we want. It's a surpassing peace, which means it surpasses understanding. As a matter of fact, it would have to be that kind of peace. If you and, all, if you and I can get a definition and we could from God about peace, and God would say, this is what peace is, and we'd say, yep, got it. It can't be that way because that kind of peace that comes from God has got to be something that far surpasses our understanding, far beyond our comprehension, but not our possession. That the surpassing greatness of this kind of peace is something that we can experience because it is available right now, given abundantly through Jesus Christ, which is where we turn our attention to being able to access the peace of God through Jesus Christ, this Personal extension of that kind of peace. So let me give you a bit of a context of the passage we're about to go through. Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, prophesied and who has come. He is gathered with his disciples in the upper room. It is the night of his betrayal. It's the night before his sacrifice. he's looking at the horizon. He knows what's coming for him, that he is about to go through unimaginable torture, brutality, and pain. He is going to take upon himself not only the sins of the world, but the punishment for that sin so that mankind can be set free and then be raised again from the dead. At the same time, he knows what his friends are going to go through. He knows that even in the room, there is chaos, there is turmoil, there is disturbance. And so in John chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is speaking to them. He's teaching them. He's trying to settle them and secure them to his leadership, to his grace, to his power. They're not getting it, but he's explaining it to them. And so here are these words of Jesus Christ in John chapter 14, beginning with verse 25. Words that he's saying to them that also echo forward to us today. He says this, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Take this one in now. Peace I leave with you. My peace, my peace, I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives, so therefore don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. You've heard me tell you that I'm going away and I'm coming to you. If you love me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. Take that in. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. So Jesus helps us understand how to be able to access what is already available through him. First of all, through the words of Christ. Through the words of Jesus. In other words, you see dominant in that passage that Jesus has been teaching, speaking, and telling. And these words are not simply just for information. It is a catalyst for transformation. I love cooking, I love baking, I love recipes. And I had to, I think I've told you a little bit about my experience with Chateaubriand steak that I, that I made. And the genesis of that took place at a wedding that I attended when Max and Gina Baumgartner, their son Andrew Maggie, they got married. And at the wedding rehearsal, the chef made this amazing dish. And when I put it in my mouth, a piece of the Chateaubriand on my mouth, my taste buds, jumped out of my face, looked me square in the eye and said, we know that you love us. And then jumped back on, I was able to enjoy it, literally. And after the whole thing was done, I went to the chef at the end of it and I said, bro, what was that? That was a heavenly experience and nobody else had this conversation, but the chef told me how he made it. I was like, how did you do that? And he gave me the recipe, that I didn't have anything to write it down. So as soon as I got home, I Googled it and said, I want to, through a recipe, recreate in my kitchen and for my soul, what that man did in his kitchen. And sure enough, the recipe, you know how recipes are, right? It comes with ingredients and it comes with instructions so that you can recreate in your kitchen the masterpiece that you saw or experienced yourself. But I think it's interesting that recipes are almost like invitations as well, especially when you see the picture, when you see what they're making. There's, there's, there's almost like a voice inside that says, I dare you to make me. I want you to make that. you want to speak, you, you really want to do this. And the ability of being able to recreate in your own kitchen what somebody else did, that's the beauty of recipe that you get that only if you follow the recipe. I think that's how it is with the words of Christ, with the words of God, that we experience the benefit of his masterpiece, if we follow his recipe, that Jesus' words and the words of God, for us this day, it's not just Jesus' words, but it's everything from Genesis to Revelation, that when we pay attention, we take those words into us, that the words that are promises and commands and insights, that when we apply our lives to them, doing it as it has been written, as it's intended, we experience the masterpiece of God's love and grace in the kitchen of our soul that flows from his kingdom of grace. When we follow and obey and apply ourselves to the recipe of his goodness, we can taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus Christ has told his disciples and says, my words, the spirit's going to come to remind you of these words that are the catalyst for transformation. As a matter of fact, I'd say this. That the words of God, it's not simply for information, but it is an invitation to participation in the process of transformation as we possess the power of those words that changes, transforms from the inside out. But folks, it's gonna take a whole lot more than simply just words. Even though Jesus in John chapter 16, verse 33 says this, I have told you these things so that in me you can have Peace. That's what those words are designed to lead us to. But we need a power greater than ourselves to give us the insight and the truth and the power of those words and to unlock and release its potential into our lives, which is why Jesus then talks to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. He talks to them about the Holy Spirit, this third person of the Godhead. And you see in some of your translations, you'll see such words as the counselor or the comforter or the advocate or the helper. The root word there is a person who is a legal advisor, legal counselor. I would say the Supreme Court appointed attorney that represents someone else, but supplies everything that is needed for the target intended to experience the benefit of that. And that's the nature of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God, he also comforts, he guides, he empowers, he convicts, he establishes. He does a work that Jesus didn't do because the Holy Spirit carries that work on in and with our lives. Can I just go ahead and say this to you? That when it comes to the Christian life, there is no power, there is no insight, there is no conversion, there is no sanctification apart from the Holy Spirit of God to experience the benefit of his reign, the presence and the power and the working of the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential. We desperately need that spirit. And in this particular passage, Jesus basically says that the purpose of the Holy Spirit in this passage is to bring to recall, to bring to remembrance to the disciples, everything that Jesus has said. And because we've got the entire 66 books of uh, the authorized Word of God from Genesis Revelation, we have the words before us, but to understand it, to apply it, we need the tutelage and the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our life. But when it comes to peace, when it comes to peace, Galatians chapter five reminds us that peace, like love and joy and goodness and gentleness, that peace is a fruit of the Spirit. In other words, that the peace of God, the peace that is the fruit of the Spirit, is not simply something that God pulls off the pantry and gives it to us. That the peace of God is an extension of the nature of God Himself, resident in Christ, resident in the Holy Spirit. God is actually in giving to us this fruit of peace. Is inviting us to participate in the divine nature. You're not just getting something, you're getting a part of someone. I know this, this may sound a little bit crude, but we actually, in getting the peace of God, we're getting a peace of God. You really don't separate him, but he is manifesting and releasing and expressing himself through the peace that he gives to us. It's not just something. It's intensely... Intentionally and infinitely about a person. Jesus Christ, in sending the Holy Spirit, is basically saying, Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I don't want you just to have something. I don't want you to have something in the pantry. I want you to have me. I want you to have the peace of God. And that's the beauty and the power of what the Holy Spirit provides for us as we yield our lives open to His influence to give us that peace fruit. But it's connected to the person of Jesus Christ. Directly to his person, we see that in the next passage that Jesus will refer to in verse 27. And again, those words, I I, I cannot imagine what it must have been like for the disciples to hear that. And again, the disciples, they were distracted. They were not getting it. Jesus had to say this over and over again. It wouldn't be until after the resurrection and after Pentecost that they'd have the Eureka. Oh, that's what he meant. But here are the words of Jesus. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Those verbs, leaving and giving, Jesus is actually, in a sense, saying, why am I leaving it, why am I giving it? Because I really want you to have me. It's awesome. You ain't gonna find that under a tree anywhere, that what Christ longs for us to experience is himself. Now, he gets to the next part, he says, but I don't give to you as the world gives. That's interesting. And I think it behooves us to stand, ask the question, okay, why stick that line in there? What's the contrast between how the world gives and how God gives? You probably know the answer to this question, right? But the way that we normally experience giving in our world is that normally we give out of surplus. We'll make sure that we have enough for ourselves, and if there's anything left over, we'll give out of that. Or maybe we'll hold the best quality for ourselves and give something that's good, but not exactly the same kind of quality as we get for, for us. Or we'll give something that's definitely going to wear out or run down. That's what happens in everything that the world creates. It's going to run out. It's going to run down. And we give out of that so much so that after you get that, you got to go back to the person who gave it to you and get more. Kind of like when I bought my, a couple of my, uh, the cars over the years. And several years after I got into the car, I got a letter from the car dealer that says, Hey, Mr. Scott, congratulations. We, we want to buy your car and put you in a new one like they care about me. No, it's all, all about them. The stuff the world gives, it's gonna run down. It's gonna wear out, and we're gonna be right back to investing our resources in this transaction. Or how about this? We give with a kickback an ulterior motive of getting something for ourselves. Hey, if I give this, can I write it off on my taxes? I would like a tax-deductible contribution, is what I want. Jesus says, I don't, I don't roll that way. That is not how I give. That what Christ gives is the best. Christ gives out of an abundance of grace. That what he gives never runs out. It's everlasting. That what he gives is personal, powerful. He doesn't just simply address the symptoms of our problem. He is dealing with the source, at the source. And that he gives from this infinite supply of love and grace for our benefit. And he gives before we give to him. Get that. It's already been given. As a matter of fact, this is what Jesus was doing with his disciples. He knew it was coming. And Jesus was on the way to lay down his life, completely lay out his life, to accept the punishment of God so that men and women and boys and girls, that when they place their faith and acknowledge their sin, that they could receive free of charge, but it cost Christ everything to experience the fact that God indeed takes what is broken and restores wholeness and completeness simply by our humble expression of faith to his grace. He was going to lay down his life and die and through the power of resurrection, extend that kind of power into our life. That's the nature of the peace that Jesus Christ offers to us. It is not based on what we give to him, but in what has already been provided completely for us. Because here's the thing, folks, there is no peace of God until there is peace with God. Someone has to end this separation, this rebellion, this hostility that we are guilty of before a holy God in Jesus Christ Christ offers his perfect, righteous, sinful life to eliminate, to eradicate any further hostility, any further separation, any condemnation between us and God. And to do that, he sacrificed himself personally, intentionally, so that we may know the peace of God through having peace with a loving creator. So how do we take advantage of that which is available to us? give you a couple of suggestions of taking advantage of what's already available because that's what Jesus said. He didn't say, hey, you need to wait for like like the post office or the UPS to deliver it. it. It isn't here right now, but it's coming. No, he says, I will send. I'm giving, I'm leaving it. It's now. Folks, it's already been delivered. The peace of and with God already been, it's here. So how do we access that? A couple of things. Number one, we do so through the words of Jesus Christ. Actually, can I start this? I think it starts with thanksgiving. It starts with acknowledging God. I know that I'm not using it properly. I know that I'm not appropriating it correctly. But I acknowledge what you have done through Jesus Christ. And my first, before I ask you for anything else, is to say thank you. Thank you for what is already available for me through Jesus, that expression of gratitude. And then being able to access that in a way that actually brings that kind of benefit. Here's the ironic thing surveys have said that the majority of people, 61% of Americans, prefer receiving either cash or gift cards versus physical gifts. 61% of you prefer cash or gift cards. And yet the irony is, is that at the beginning of 2020, $3 $3 billion worth was reported on gift cards that were not being used. $3 billion unused. Some of you right now, you're like, okay, I know exactly what he's talking about. But here's the thing, that resource, it's available. It's right, it's it's already ready for you. One of the ways of being able to take advantage of what's available according to what we just talked about is to start with engaging God with his word. Receive the words of Christ, the scriptures, Genesis to Revelation have the power to be a catalyst for transformation in your life. If we would read, if we would meditate, Jesus' words are not simply for information, but for transformation. So may I invite you into a challenge between now and Christmas Day. If you go to the Force Hill website, forcehill.org slash reading plan, you will actually be able to download a reading plan to read through the Christmas story between now and and Christmas It's 15 different readings that if you read five of those readings every single week, you would read through the entire Christmas story and an understanding of what Jesus did, what God did through Jesus for the world and exactly how that story came about. Because quite frankly, a lot of our information about Christmas, we've gotten from songs and movies that just ain't correct. So my challenge and my encouragement. For Forest Hill Church, across all of our families, for those of you that are watching online, is to download the reading plan and let's together read through the Christmas story as it was written, not as it has been retold. And as you do that, you ask yourself questions like this. In what I'm reading, what's the truth of God in this? What's the truth of me in this passage? What's the truth of the world? And then also, how do I adjust my life to this truth? I would challenge you to read it with an expectation that you are going to have an encounter with Emmanuel himself, God with us through his word. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you perspective and insight and that you read with the idea, these aren't just words on a page, it's the expression and revelation of God himself and that he might begin to bring to your life that kind of transformation, that reign of peace and grace. But then I would say this, and this is real simple. You're going to, I'm gonna give you the step, and you're gonna be like, eh, that makes no sense. How to access the peace that's already available. Receive it. Receive his peace. Can I speak to those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ for a moment? Those of you who have professed to know Jesus, would've been walking with him for any certain period of time. I'm included. Can I ask that you and I take some time to actually confess to God that we have been seeking peace and joy from things other than God? Can I suggest that we confess before God that we have been hoping that our particular political party or our particular political candidate will bring to us the that we really want in our life. That we've been placing an awful lot of focus and attention and faith on human beings, fallible human beings and parties that can never bring about the peace our soul needs. Can we just be honest about that and realize, yeah, we've been placing more faith than we need to. We've been placing more faith on our economic stabilities, our stock portfolios, all of that, that we've been placing more faith in our economic and financial ability that some of us have been placing our faith in our marriages or the hope for marriage or our children or the hope for children, that that would bring about the peace and happiness that we want. Can we just admit that we have been spending an awful lot of time looking for hope in such things as a vaccine to bring about the peace in our life and in our world? Oh, I I pray that there's a benefit, but it will never provide the benefit that almighty God can do. And that we need to stop looking for the gifts that are under the tree and start looking for the gifts that is nailed to it. Jesus Christ is the source of our hope and our peace. And for us as believers, for us to take the time to acknowledge before God, God, forgive me for looking for what only can come from you looking in other places and to repent and to resolve to replace Jesus Christ as the Prince of Peace on a throne from which his unending eternal reign of peace can be ours. But let me say that this to those of you who may not be followers right now. You may never have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, whether you're in one of our campuses, or you're watching online, the thing that Jesus would want more for you than anything else is that today, you would step across the line to acknowledge your need, your sin, this separation, this rebellion between you and God, and to acknowledge that Jesus Christ gave his life so that you can know his love, his forgiveness, his eternal peace. And then to access it, it requires you, like what does for us, to place our faith in him. To say, Jesus, I believe, I'm ready. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead, that I may know forgiveness, and I am right now ready to step across the line and to declare my allegiance to you as my Lord and my savior. To believe it and then to receive it by faith. Simply that, even now, you may even want to just whisper it and say, I believe and I receive you as the Prince of Peace. And if that's your case, if that's what you're doing today, I would invite you to text Jesus to the number that's on your screens, to let us know that you're making that decision, you're stepping across that line so that we can come alongside and help you in this brand new journey of faith to follow Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Maybe there are some of you here who are followers of Jesus Christ. You need to kind of do something similar to say, you know something, I believe in the wrong thing. I need to give my life back to his direction, to his leadership, because I need his peace. Because here's the truth about it, folks. Apart from God, there is no peace. You've seen the statement before. No Jesus, no peace. Without Jesus, there's no peace, but K-N-O-W, know Jesus, and you can know and experience his peace because here's the truth. Receiving Jesus Christ as the Prince of Peace is the only way to possess the peace of God. The only way to experience his grace his love, his life, his peace. May that be your prayer, my prayer, and our life today, because it's available. I wanna take this opportunity at this time to kind of close this message. I'm gonna ask the folks to put on the screen. This is John chapter 14, verses 26 through 27. I wanna invite you into a moment of peace. As you read these words, please don't just see them as letters with a a, a dark background. These are the invitations of Jesus Christ to you. And so especially as we get ready to head into this season, that would start off with some silence. To let him speak to you and for you to speak to him. And in whatever way is necessary for you to receive his gift for your life through his words, by his spirit and for the glory of Christ. So take time right now, if you would please. Look at those words, and let's enter into this moment of peace to allow his movement of grace in our life. And then I'll pray in a moment. wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Emmanuel, Prince of Peace. There is a part of our soul that hungers for only what you can provide. Grant us the humility right now to admit the need for you to fill us with the peace you so desperately want us to have so that our lives can be an expression of wholeness and completeness, the shalom of God. So my friends, today I pray that God, you would meet them in a special way so that, just like Jesus said, that they no longer need to be fearful or to be troubled in their heart. Because with the indwelling, residing presence of Christ, we can live free from any conflict internally and at home in your love. Bring your kingdom reign, we pray. Jesus, in your name, amen. May I ask you to stand to your feet and let's unite our voices to declare once again that because of Jesus Christ, we no longer have to be afraid because he fulfills his promise to bring to us all that we need to experience and possess his life.